I'm Zach Owens, and I'm the biggest fan of your life. Welcome to the biggest fan of your life podcast. I'm your host, Zach Owens. I love learning from the major achievers, the famed celebrities, and outstanding experts. But I often think about the average Joes and Josephines who are just as great, who have valuable knowledge and skills to teach and important perspectives and experiences to share. They may not have a platform, a following, or world-renowned status, but they have fascinating lives that I'm a fan of, and I think you should be too. So let's get to it. Welcome to the Biggest Fan of Your Life podcast. Today, I am super excited to introduce to you my friend Jeff Wickerham. Father to six kids in a blended family, disciplined blogger, and champion of positivity, I'm privileged to call Jeff my friend. It's not uncommon to see Jeff and I endlessly sipping coffee together and starting conversations with, so I was listening to this podcast, or I was reading this article, Jeff checks in on my life. He shows up in big ways when I need it and makes me want to pursue my greatest potential. When he's not blasting Springsteen on his way to pick up the kids, he's doing his best to encourage all of us to smile on together. Ladies and gentlemen, this is my friend, Jeff Wickerham. Just kind of, that's it. That's the natural stuff right there. Cool. Well, um, it's Monday, and so it's a good way to get the week kicked off. Um, Yeah talking with you and we typically don't do it on Mondays. Um, usually, uh, for whatever reason, meet towards the end of the week. So it's a little bit different. I, I like know. It. Normally it's like a Thursday or a Friday morning mm-hmm. and there's usually other people around at least, you know? <laughs> Besides Teeny, uh, the, the um, third person in the room. There she is. Dog. There she is. Just sleeping like a like a dog. Like a dog. <laughs> she, she, do you know how old she is? How old is she? 14. She's 14 She's years 14 old. years old, yeah. She acts like it too, because all she does is lay around. She could totally get her driving permit. <laughs> In dog years, she's way past that. That's nuts. That made me so. Somebody told me the other day. It, the do you ever feel like time goes faster as you get older? That's a pretty deep question to start with, don't you think? I mean, that's the, that's just where this is going. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, I. To answer you, I think time, I'm a math guy, right? So um, my brain thinks like that. So I know time is the same no matter what. And when you're going through it, it just seems so slow. But when you look back, it seems to go so fast. So I don't know if that answers your question or not, but... Well, and and why is that? And I think I had had heard or uh, read something about... um, about this phenomenon. And it's like when you're three years old, like you've got a three-year-old, right? Not quite two, one and two. Okay. So think about a year in that two-year-old's life. That's half their life. So that's going to feel much different than, you know, today's my birthday, I'm 33. So one year at 33 is a substantially less percentage of my life. True. So it's going to feel faster because of that. 
I think it's like that, when you look at the math of that, right? Like that that makes sense. Yes, but I also know that as a two-year-old, your brains don't remember. Um, they learn. They learn how to go to the bathroom. Dempsey's peeing and pooping in the potty. Um, so she's learned how to do that. She knows when it's about to happen. So her, she has trained her body to do that. But on the other hand, go back to September and... Uh, our three-year-old dog died. And two weeks later, she had no idea who she was. Mm. She just, and you know, I don't remember anything from when I'm two. And so maybe that goes to, yeah, when we get older, I just turned 40 and we have the capacity to remember more. Mm -hmm. Um, And so as a two-year-old, yeah, that's half your life when you turn two. A year is half your life, but you don't remember it. Mm. I, I don't know. <laughs> so, listeners, this is exactly the kind of thing that Jeff and I will talk about <laughs> on a on a monthly basis over coffee. So, uh, Jeff is one of my friends. Jeff is somebody that I am a huge fan of, which is why he's on the podcast today. And uh, basically, we wanted to just kind of invite you into. Uh, a regular coffee conversation with us. Pull up a seat at the table and hear the things that we talk about and maybe get the story around you know, Jeff's life because it's a pretty interesting one. I don't know very many people who live the sort of life that you live right now um, you, with your family dynamic, with uh, the even just your life philosophy and some of those things. So we're going to get into that. Let's do it. Um, so you remember the story probably better than I do about how it was that we started meeting for coffee. You know, I had moved to your town in 2014 and uh, was a part of, we were part of the same church. Um, and, but, but we, we weren't getting together regularly and, and really building this friendship until one day on Twitter. Twitter. As, as, <laughs> so, so tell the story as you remember it. Absolutely. So yes, Zach, we, did, we, we got together on a pretty weekly basis. Uh, he was on stage and I was sitting in the congregation at church. And um, so we were in the same room, but didn't really ha- ever have many conversations. Um, he was a pretty cool dude and um, I liked him. I liked his personality and just his heart. So I can't remember exactly what made me do this. It was, uh, to be honest, it was a podcast I heard it on. Um, go figure. That's a regular thing for us is just always like, so I was listening to this podcast where yes. <laughs> so yes. there it is. So I, I was listening to it and one of the, the, the thing that kickstarted our relationship was um, go to somebody, uh, whether it's a, a loved one, a friend, a coworker, anybody that you care about and ask them if you could assign a number between one and 10 to how you are right now what would that number be? And so I Twittered that, um, tweeted that, but I say Twittered because I had to get it down to what, 140 characters. So just I sent a message or sent a tweet to him, said, hey, label your day one to 10. And he responded with, do you remember the number? I feel like it was five or seven. Seven. Okay. It was seven. Something average, middle of the road. Well, and so I go back and I remember this. They said the almost 
always, when you ask that question, the person comes back with seven. Psychologically, it's not horrible because you don't want to tell people that your day's crappy. And it's usually, unless you're having a super good day, it's not going to be a nine or 10. So seven is a safe number. It says I'm okay. So that's what started it. And then I responded. I said, what can I do to get you to an eight? And that message to somebody says, you know what? Here's your day. You assigned a number to it. What can I do to make that day just a little bit better for you? And that's how it started. Yeah, because I said something like, let's get coffee or something like that, right? Yeah. I'm sure we can go back and find it It's yeah in the, in the Twitter archives. Yes, it's there. It's always there. Um, but yeah, and so he, I think it was, you know, let's get coffee. And so we scheduled it and maybe it was within the Was next, it later that afternoon or the next day? No, I think it was within the same week. I don't okay. think it was that day from what I remember. But then I don't... You correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think we've missed a month since then. It's I don't probably think been so. two years. Gosh, has it really been that long? I think so. We're gonna have to go back and find this. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, at least I would say every four to six weeks, mm-hmm. give or take. You know, with holidays and you know, craziness of schedules and whatnot. Yeah. But yeah, so that's what started it all. It's it was because of a podcast that. Um, this friendship has started. And, and here we are recording yeah. a podcast. And here we are recording the podcast. That's awesome. <laughs> and it's, it's wonderful for me, you know, because I think, and I, I still don't know why it started every, that we said, let's just make this a regular thing. But it's been incredibly encouraging for me, um, you know, for you know, accountability, for motivation, for coaching, for just shared life. And, uh, so I value that, and I wanted to hear just your thoughts on, on, on friendship, because I had, I had read or heard something again, probably from a podcast that just like, especially for today's 20, 30, 40 something, making friends is hard. It's challenging. It's daunting. And so, you know, what, what is, your, what are your thoughts on what friendship is and how you, how you make friends or build friendships? Man, it's hard. Um, and I'm speaking uh, for the people listening. I am married to Sarah. Uh, been about five years that we've been married, and it's hard getting friends uh, for me. Um, not just because I'm married, uh, but because we have drum roll, please. <laughs> six kids. Six. Six kids. You heard that right, folks. Six kids. Yeah, so it, that is time consuming with our activities. Um, and the person that I want to spend the most time with, my wife, that's where I put my energy and efforts. And so, but I know that I need to engage with other people, uh, people like Zach, who, uh, who I need to talk to, who I need to listen to. Um, and I think that's what friendship is it's both talking and listening to one another. Uh, our conversations are so wide. There's not a script for them. Um, I know when I come to a meeting with Zach, there's stuff that I want to talk about. uh, And there's stuff I want to listen to from Zach. That's what friendship is to me. Uh, It's going through the positives, the negatives, the sharing of life. 
uh, with somebody you care about and, mm-hmm. and, and, and that you can trust. I think that's one of the bigger pieces as well is, is that you trust your friends, especially your good friends. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm coming out of a season where I'm realizing the value of friendship. And for me, it's been learning that your friends are the ones who know you and show up for you, you know? Um, if I had to put it in a phrase, that that's kind of how I conceptualize it. Well, it's so it's so weird for me growing up. I'm 40 now and growing up, um, going to college and after college, the friends that I had were the guys that I would go have a beer with. Zach and I haven't done that. So it's super weird for me. Uh, when I picture a friend, I, I picture somebody I go have a beer with or somebody I shoot hoops with or somebody that I, I don't know, chop wood with. And <laughs> I mean, if you want to go grab a beer, <laughs> chop wood and shoot hoops, we can do that. <laughs> right, but that's that's not us. And it can be for sure. And it wouldn't be wrong. Absolutely. But so, so that kind of turn in my head where, okay, I'm looking for a friend that I can do all those things with. And Zach showed up and it's not what I want to do with him. He's a guy I want to hang out with and talk with and share thoughts and feelings and learn from as well. Mm-hmm. So that, it's just different for me from the past few years to what I, what I experienced as friends outside of my wife. Well, and, and as a family man, as a married man, you know, you, with those six kids and, and the wife, you know, I had read something uh, that talked about how it is harder for men to be single than it is for women. And as a 33-year-old single guy, um, that makes me sit back and think, okay, how, how do I see that playing out? And I think about a lot of the guys that I know, some of my guy friends who are married, and and they don't have a lot of relational connections in the way that their wives do. You know, their primary relational connection is their wife. And not that that's a bad thing, but I think as you kind of mentioned there too, it's important for you to have friendships and relationships that that don't compete with your wife, but, you know, come alongside that relationship that, that in, in many ways I would say encourage your your marriage and your your family life. Is that, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think when you were talking, my head was going to, uh, every, first of all, everybody's different. So what we say here works for me, works for Zach, may not work for you. Uh, I know there are a lot of people out there who have their friends and they spend a lot of time together with them um, outside of their marriage, which is great if that's what they want. Uh, with Sarah and I, it's, it's not what we want. We do spend time with other people, uh, but Zach knows that, my nights and weekends are, are almost off limits. Yeah. Um, which with my job that works out fine because I, I have the flexibility to meet for coffee during the middle of the day. Yeah. Some people can't do that. Right. So I, I would, uh, what was your question? I, I, I mean, I know I, you asked that and I went off on a tangent. And- no, it's okay. And, and the funny thing is like, that's not just because we're recording this. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the kind of thing that happens in our regular conversation. Like what, what were we talking about? Huh? What was the question? <laughs> the, the idea that men have a harder time being single than women. Do you, does that surprise you? I don't know. Uh, to be honest. And maybe it's because... I think you and I maybe have always just valued the camaraderie that comes with having, 
you know, brothers in the trenches, mm-hmm. you know, male, male friendship. Um, but I, like I said, I just, I think about a lot of guys I know who don't, don't have that in their lives. Um, and I think about a lot of the, the twenties, thirties and forty somethings I know who, who have mentioned how hard it is to make friends when you're not in, in those environments to make friends as often. It's, it's daunting. It is. So I go back before Zach and I became quote friends. Um, I, I was in a lull maybe. Um, and just this just occurred to me as, as I'm saying this, um, there was a group of guys that I hung out with on a regular basis and I'll keep this part of the story short, short, but one of them died. (laughs) Um, he, he beat cancer when he was 17 and it just kept coming back. He was good for about 10 years. Um, it just kept coming back. So uh, maybe personally, that's one of the reasons why I haven't put forth maybe effort. Maybe I'm scared because I saw one of my good friends pass away. Yeah. And it sucked. You know, it was his time and totally okay with it. It just sucked. Um, And so maybe that's why I I haven't. Um, And that doesn't, like I said, doesn't speak for everybody. Personally looking in, I don't know. Um, And then reached out to Zach for whatever reason. Um, and that friendship started. So, but there was probably two two years in between when Matt died and Zach that it just it just didn't work. Not you know I didn't try, but maybe I didn't try because I've been scared to. Hmm, that's real, man. I, <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, let me ask you this, especially. Because I feel like your whole world, the way you see the world is going to be so different than the way I see it because you have, you know, a wife and six kids and a very unique family situation, which we will talk about. But I, I was talking with a friend last night about mortality and, you know, the way you see life and death um, has to look differently with, with your life circumstances. You know, how often do you think about mortality? And especially when it comes to your kids, you know, your legacy, things like that. I don't know. This is going to sound weird. Uh, It sounds weird to me. Uh, It might sound weird to you, Zach, and whoever's listening. I think it goes to my faith, but I'm not scared of that mortality. Like, if it's my time, all right. And I'm not, because I know it's waiting for me uh, mm-hmm. up in heaven. Well, I don't know, <laughs> but but I uh, I do know Jesus is there. And mortality doesn't scare me. I, and maybe I'm blind to being scared. Uh, and what I just said about losing Matt, because of that loss, I'm afraid to maybe reach out to others. And mm. I find, finally got the courage to do it. So maybe I'm hiding fear. That's interesting. And, I, and I'm sure there are people who will track with you on that. Just the, the fear of investing in relationships in the present is more daunting than whatever the end is. 
you know? That's interesting. I'd be interested to see, you know, how many people fall on, you know, either side. Like, if you had to pick which one is scarier, which one is more scary, you know? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's 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 not that I don't talk to people. I feel like I'm good talking to people. But maybe, maybe making that investment. You know, I found Sarah and I was all in mm-hmm. with her. On a side note, some of you might be thinking, if you're a math person like me, They've been married five years and have six kids. What in the world? <laughs> we'll get to that later. Yeah, mortality is a—it's a big idea. It's a big concept, but it's just on my mind. And you know, and I—you know—my sister went back into the hospital yesterday, um, and you know, just with some chest pains, and they're doing some tests and things like that. And so it's just she's—I think she's good, um, but it's just one of those things where when life comes at you, you know what I mean? It just forces you to, to kind of look at it with, with that wide angle lens a little bit, you know? And, and you think about, you know, what, what does happen when we die or what does happen if I die tomorrow? How does that impact life? How does that, you know, all the things I leave unfinished, you know, all those things, you know? And I just, I, I, I know how I wrestle with that as a 33-year-old single guy. And so I'm thinking, man, you've got six kids and a wife. How, how do you wrestle with that? Yeah. Like, do you think about like, if something happens to you, how would, how would Sarah and the kids, how, how would they manage? I don't know. Um, and, and I say that because I don't know, but also because like, I know they would figure it out. And that might be an, odd way of looking at it. Like, I feel I have value in Sarah's life. I feel I have value in all six of our kids' life. And it would suck and they would be sad and... But they'd figure it out. And and it would be your hope that they would too, right? That they would... No, I, I don't think it's my hope, I know. Oh, okay. But I, yeah. that, that's how I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, I have faith... And I know they will. I always have said, you know, that should I get married one day, I want to make sure that part of my wedding vows are that I I cannot and will not be everything to you and you cannot and will not be everything to me. It's not possible. Um, that's a high bar, <laughs> you know? And and that's a lot of pressure. And, and And it's just not realistic. And so I think the... The idea too of if, if something should happen to me, I would want my wife to move on with life, not to forget, but to to be okay, and and, and I want her to feel the same that that we we get the joy of each other, but we don't need each other to live, you know, and that that's hard because it's kind of a shot in the romantic, <laughs> you know, what I mean, the romantic story of things, but I mean, in, in reality, I think it's healthy. It's. I would say it's very rare that two people who fall in love both die at the same time. I, I would say that percentages-wise, very, very, very low. And so, yeah, I look at it the same way. Is We're probably not, and it's weird talking about dying, but we're probably not, Sarah and I both aren't going to die at the same time. And so... 
yeah, I'm going to miss her or she's going to miss me. And I, you know, if she, if it was her time, I am going to do everything I can for these kids. And she would do the same. I, I don't know. I'm not scared. I'm not, uh, I agree that with love, yeah, you can't be everything for the other person. You just can't. I agree. Let's talk about love and let's talk about marriage for a second because... A second? <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, you know, for you and Sarah, you know, you guys have a very, very cool story. Uh, but I know that's also a, a big passion of you, of, for both of you, is to encourage people in their marriages. So talk about, you know, what you've learned about love and marriage in just um, the time that you and Sarah have been together. Sarah and I, so... Maybe five, even share the story, yeah. maybe how you and Sarah met. Yeah, five years we've been married in, almost five years in April. We are both divorced. And so those of you doing the math, just so it's out there, I had two kids from a previous marriage. She had two kids from a previous marriage. And we have to get two kids from our marriage. So what is marriage? What is love? So... I'll go back to, we met, she was a, do a little, little bit of background here. I had kids who played soccer and so I was coaching them and I had Oliver, her oldest son, ended up being on my team and I ended up coaching and so just meeting and uh, her and her, her husband at the time, you know, it was just great. And then... She took over a book of business. She's a state farm agent and she took over a book of business and I was in her book of business. And I was her, she was my insurance agent. That's it. I started a new job doing what I'm doing today, a promotional products job. And so one of the owner of our company gave me a few clients to work with that he had established. And guess who one of those clients was? Da-da-da! Da, it was Sarah. Sarah uh, in her state from office. So I was her customer. She was my customer. I had coached her son in soccer. And all of this, whether I, it's the truth, um, it's hard to believe, that's all it was. And she was a cool person. Uh, at the time she's I was hilarious by she, the way she's, she's awesome. so funny <laughs> at the time I was in the local Kiwanis club a uh, volunteer organization and I was going to be president soon and I was inviting people to join Kiwanis and I thought she was cool so I invited her to join Kiwanis so through all of this she was just a cool person my insurance agent I sell her promotional products and I coached her son in soccer and that's it. So it was strictly platonic through 100%, all of that. 100%. Okay. 100%. Like I didn't even look at her. I mean, she's pretty, but I didn't look at her in as that way. attractive. Like, yeah. it's just, <laughs> it's what it was. She's hot by the way, but <laughs> at the time I didn't see her that way. It was the summer of 2013, late summer of 2013, even August timeframe and she wanted to talk to me. She, I had been through a divorce uh, about a couple years prior to this in 2010, 2011. She had known that. And so she just wanted to talk to me saying, how in the world do you do it? Because 
with her and her husband. It just wasn't working. And so we talked and she got a divorce and we started talking some more. And then like this curtain was opened for me. Like, oh my gosh, she's hot. And it just happened. And she's awesome. And she's funny. And I kind of liked her. And so we started dating. It was real quick. And we started dating in early fall, October timeframe. And we were married five months later. Wow. Um, in April of 2014. And it just happened that quick. Mm. Um, now, did you encounter people who were skeptical of that because it happened so quick? Yeah. Friends, you sure? My sisters, like, what? All right. Well, she, what? Uh, okay. Yeah, 100%. And how did you respond to that? I was confident. Like, yeah, it is quick. Sorry. It, huh. it, it is. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny how, and I always try to be careful because I think everybody thinks they know what love is or what it should look like or should be, right? Mm -hmm. And I think about, you know, people I know who got married at 17 and 18 years old and they made it last 75 plus years or whatever. You know what I mean? Like that's, and I never want to be that person who's like, you're too young. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I, I just, there's part of me that just wants to say that like, when you know, you know, but I, I know that's also, you and gotta, I, you gotta think practically too. Yeah. And that's, uh, nobody knows, uh, put it out there. Nobody knows hmm. those. I, we'll get to him later. Um, a guy named Bruce, who sings um, some rock songs, <laughs> um, Springsteen. He, uh, I heard him tell a story about his sister and he was doing a, a concert. And during the story, or during the concert, he told the story about his sister who, you know, his 17-year-old sister, I think, got pregnant, got married, and he was a rodeo guy. And they lived in New Jersey. There's... there's Rodeos in New Jersey? I don't know. And so that, that was <laughs> Not a just joke. in Texas. Right. The funny part of the story was they still live in New Jersey and he was a rodeo guy and they were married 50 years later and they're still married. Like, so you don't know. Some people meet and they fall in love in high school and they get married and it's 50 years later. Some right. people, same story. Some people meet in high school, get married at 17 and are divorced three years later. So you asked me what marriage is and it, well, first to answer your question and I said it once, but I'll say it again, nobody knows. Mm -hmm. So is it 17? Is it 33? I, there's no answer. If there was a book, it'd be written. It's not. But a book that is written, which... Um, the pastor, lead minister at our church at the time, Matt Mahaffey, Sarah and I went and talked to him and said, hey, we're both divorced. We started dating in October. It's early March timeframe at this time. Say, hey, Matt, we won't get married. Going into him fully confident, knowing how we feel, but also knowing an eyebrow could be raised that Sarah was divorced in September and we want to get married five months later. He didn't question it. 
what he did was said, you have to read these two books. And the two books are for men only and for women only. Which you now use to encourage couples in their marriages. We do. So we've been married, like I said, for five years. We've read the books four times. (laughs) (laughs) So you're the experts. No, no. That's what we keep reading. We keep learning. Yeah. Which is a huge part of, of growth in general, but I, I definitely as a married couple, you know, what, what are you doing to encourage and grow in that? Yeah, you know? it's, so marriage is something, just had this conversation last Friday and marriage is something I equate it to sports or playing an in- instrument or your job. You have to work at it continuing education. If you are LeBron James, you are extremely talented, extremely gifted, arguably the best basketball player who ever lived. He works and works and works and works at basketball. He studies, he shoots, he practices. Kobe Bryant the same way. He'd be the first guy in, last guy out. Tom Brady, again, arguably the best quarterback ever ever to play the game, the first one in, the last one out. He works. Marriage is the same way. You have to work at it. Sarah and I made a commitment to each other to work on our marriage specifically every year. What does that mean? That means taking a weekend. It means for us taking a weekend and doing a study, going to a marriage retreat, something of that nature on an annual basis because we have to work on it. We we work on it every day and it's hard. Yeah, especially with six kids, I'm sure. It, it is. But we also know taking the time away from those kids, taking the time away from our jobs to focus on our marriage and to learn how to make each other better. It sounds like you're saying to to to, to the listeners who are married continue to work at it, continue to learn, um, continue to invest. And I don't know if there are any- If it's what you want. Yeah. And and if there are, you know, specific things that you and Sarah do, you know, you mentioned the retreats and the studies and things like that. But I'm also thinking, you know, I'm here on the other side of you as a single 33-year-old guy who, you know, I, I- I could get married or not get married in my life and be okay. I actually had a coworker ask me the other day when I told her, I was like, I- I'm going to be 33 next week. And she's like- why aren't you married? <laughs> you know? And I said, I honestly, it just doesn't feel like a priority for me right now. Uh, but I know some of my peers who they, they know they want to be married. They want a family and that's great. So what would you say to, to some of them? They know they want to be married. How do they, what, what are some things they can do to prepare themselves for marriage? Even if they're not in a relationship right now, because you've lived that as well, right? You've lived the, the single guy bachelor life for a season mm-hmm. or two, you know? So just what, what do you, any suggestions for the, the single folks? No. <laughs> it's a horrible answer, but I, I don't, I don't have a good answer for that question. Because when I look back, how do you practice marry marriage? You have, for me to answer that question, you have to be married. Huh. So good at relationships. How do you practice relationships? Well, and maybe that's it. Yeah, maybe that's it. It's just 
work on the things that you would work on in a marriage and just apply it to the general pool of relationships. You know what I mean? How do you, how do you commit to friendship? How do you um, invest in, you know, your parents, your siblings? How do you communicate? You know, there are definitely still resources out there you can use to learn on how to grow a relation. I used to teach interpersonal communication and, and it's one of those things I think we all think we do well, mm-hmm. but man, there are some great strategies out there. If we just were aware these of these dynamics that we could actually maybe find better, healthier relationships. I will share with what is in my head is opening your heart, which is scary. But in any relationship, marriage, friendship, parents, kids, open your heart up. It's going to get hurt. But when you open up your heart, you give the opportunity to the other person saying, I trust you. And when you open up your heart, you you have to trust the other person or it won't work. Right. And it's kind of the, one of those things I've learned you have to pair with the fact that everybody's human. So understanding that because you're human, you're going to let somebody down and somebody's going to let you down too at some point. And that's where trust and grace go hand in hand. Perfection is is a scary thing because nobody's perfect. And I tell Sarah, she is not perfect. And she tells me I'm not perfect. Mm. But we're perfect for each other in our brokenness. And that is maybe that is the piece of advice I would give to people who aren't in a relationship or aren't married and looking to do so is realize that the other person is not perfect. So in some ways, adjust your expectations, right? Like you're not going to find the perfect person. You're going to find a person. Yes. And, you know, looking at them in grace... And, and hopefully they will do the same. And that's what's going to make a really good, a really rich relationship. Yeah. The, the, when you fall in love, you have the puppy love. Everything seems perfect. And, and you put those, in my opinion, you put these blinders up and you see the person on the pedestal and they seem perfect. And then you realize through time and experience, and I learned this, that they're not. Like, I didn't know this going in. And they're not perfect. And in spite of those imperfections, I choose to love Sarah. I choose to know she's not perfect. And she chooses to know with my imperfections and my quirks and things that make her mad about me, she still loves me in spite of those things. Mm. What... What what would she say is like your worst habit? Goodness gracious! <laughs> I would ask you to comment on hers, but we'll, <laughs> we'll. She's not here to defend herself, so right. I'll ask. What would Sarah say is your you know worst habit, weirdest quirk, or you know the imperfection she loves most about you? Maybe is a great oh, way wow. to phrase that. <laughs> um, I count when I brush my teeth. You count? I count, yes. Each area gets eight seconds. <laughs> and that's how you brush your teeth. And anybody who says differently is wrong. Wow. I, I don't know. That. 
I, I no, I, I, I'm just kidding. Not kidding about that. Um, <laughs> that is a funny one. That, which I'm sure hearing Sarah comment on that is hilarious. <laughs> I don't know. That that is the one that came maybe, to mind. Maybe we'll just have to have Sarah on the podcast and let her speak to that. Sometime. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I'm sure she has a list. <laughs> She's a list a maker. List. She's which, good at that. Which, when you're a mom to a family with six kids, you have to have some sort of structure and, mm, and list. She she gives that to our family. I'm I, ironically, and we might get into this, to a, into this. We might not. I, I feel like I am more whimsical unstructured and she is more of the structured and it's so weird because I look at parts of my life which are extremely structured and there are other parts of my life where I am not structured and can go any which way. So talk about, you know, you've mentioned the unique family dynamic that you have with with the six kids and the blended family scenario. Um, And again, you know, there, there has to be order. There has to be structure and coordination with all those schedules, you know, dance class, uh, sports, all those kind of things, whatever. Um, but in, in that blended family dynamic that few of us, I think can relate to, uh, you know, in, in the way that your family looks like, talk about some of the joys of that and some of the challenges of that. All right. Well, here we go. So <laughs> the, the challenges that we're facing, we have a shared parenting, both Sarah and I have shared parenting. So we have, as it stands right now, and I say that because when we started off with, we only had four kids, but now we have six. So we have six kids Sunday evening through Wednesday when we, when I take them to school. The four older kids, two of mine and two of Sarah's, go to their other parent's house Wednesday through Friday when they get to school. And then we do every other weekend. So what does that look like? This week, it looks like Sunday or this past actually Friday, we had the kids, all six kids this weekend through Wednesday morning when I take them to school. We go from a six, eight person family down to a four person family Wednesday night and Thursday night, and then this weekend, Friday, Saturday, until they get back with us on Sunday. So all those specifics I wanted to share with you to let you know our four of the ki- older kids go to somebody else's house. That is what's hard. Sarah and I have different parenting techniques, skills. We're different people, so we look at things differently. I hate to use the word all or none. So I'll say most parents in a traditional setting where they're not divorced and have kids that lived with them the entire time have opposing viewpoints on parenting. So Sarah and I have those, which I feel is normal. Then you add in another household who has another viewpoint on parenting and then another household who has another viewpoint on parenting. And that compounds the different viewpoints. It makes it that much harder for the kids. Mm -hmm. How do they act? How are they supposed to act? How are they being taught to act? All different. And so that is one of Sarah and I's biggest challenges is having three different households that our kids live in. Mm Mm-hmm. 
that is a huge challenge. How do we deal with it? I'm when the kids get to our house, we almost have to. And again, I'm not saying the other houses are wrong or bad. What I'm it's saying is different. it's just different. Yeah. And so when they come back, we almost have to retrain them. And I'm assuming the same thing happens when they go to their other parents' house. Mm-hmm. They have to retrain them for what they the expectations are there. That's super hard on our kids. Yeah. It's hard on us as parents too. But I also think about the the value in that is it's it's teaching them adaptation flexibility, understanding, you know, what the, you know, expectations are in this environment versus a different environment, you know, and while that can be confusing for a kid, I think about all the time as an adult, how many times I have to look at a situation and assess how I need to interact in that situation and and what choices I need to make and things like that. So, yeah, it's, I think it's easy to look at that and say, oh, that's so hard on the kids, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's actually a blessing in disguise in some way. Does that make sense? It does. And I'll respond with, I feel it's hard on the kids. But to your point, it also is a piece of ammunition in their tool belt. Yeah. For when they continue to grow and develop as humans and as individuals, it's just another experience they have that they can use when they do get in those different environments. Cause we all have been in different environments where we have to act differently and it's part of learning and growing as an adult. Um, the thing that I worry about as a parent is how are these kids learning and how they behave and act and how will it show up later in their life? That That's a, I don't know. That's, and you can't control that. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so the challenge is you know, those dynamics of family households, multiple family households with different viewpoints on parenting, you know, for those who are step-parents, what advice do you have for them as a stepfather? You know, especially, I mean, I know I've talked to some different step-parents who talk about, I feel strange disciplining a kid that's, you know, not my kid. You know what I mean? In, in terms of how, that's how they say it. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know... I don't know. Like, what, what's your advice on how to how to step parent well? Man, <laughs> I mean, do you feel like you step parent well? I feel there are times I'm scared to. The answer is yes. I, I feel like I do it well, but I'm also there's times where I'm like, I'm not touching this situation. I, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I, I do feel that I am not. I'm not scared to step in and mm-hmm. parent, be a disciplinarian, be uh, hold the kids accountable. Yeah. And you, I, I, I'm thinking about a situation we talked about some time ago where you engaged, you know, one of um, Sarah's kids' biological father and, and asked him, you know, you know, talked with him about some things. And, and I thought that was really commendable. So <laughs> one of the, I forgot about this, one of the, you know, I, time frame, forgive me, it might be wrong. So I would say within two months of when Sarah and I started dating. Now keep in mind, Sarah and her ex-husband got divorced I think in September, beginning of October, and we started dating in October. 
Mm-hmm. I, this is going to sound weird. I asked Eric, her ex-husband, out on a date. <laughs> on a mandate. <laughs> on a mandate. So uh, we went to BW3s and we had a beer and we talked. And I told him I'm not here to replace him as a dad. I'm here to love his kids and I'm here to love Sarah and it's not going to be easy. And I said, we're not going to be good friends. We could be, but I don't have that expectation. Okay. I'm here to partner with you on this. Mm. And we hung that, out. That's huge. I mean, I have to sit with that for a second because <laughs> that that's a, a huge statement to say like, because oftentimes I feel like the step parents can feel like they're at odds, you know, like that they're almost on opposing sides. And uh, so, but for you to say, I want to partner with you in parenting. Yeah. So we, I do feel that way. And I, and I, I would assume he feels that way as well today, but I think it helped in raising Oliver and Marley to know that, I'm not here to replace him. Mm. And yes, I think it's weird and it's odd. And we don't hang out, which I know some families in that dynamic that do, and it works for them. We we don't. But I think it was extremely important that I did lay that groundwork with Mm. him. Yeah. So... So going fast forwarding, and I think you alluded to a conversation I had with him. I don't know if this is what you're talking about, but I will share one of the conversations I had with him. Marley, who was seven, six or seven at the time, decided she wanted to be baptized. Yeah, that's the one. And she she wanted me and my wife, Sarah, to baptize her. And one of the things, and I think this is a good and bad characteristic that I have, is I try to put myself in another person's shoes and putting myself in his shoes. If my daughter wanted a stepdad instead of me to baptize her, like I'd feel pretty crappy. I spoke with him about this before the baptism and I just took some time. He dropped the kids off. I take the kids to school every day. And so I sent a text to him, say, Hey, can I talk to you for, can you come a few minutes early so I can have a conversation with you? And I said, Eric, I want you to know that if I were in your shoes, I'd feel pretty weird that Marley asked me to baptize her. And he responded with, Jeff, you are the one who helped her. He, he believes in Christ, um, but he told me I'm the one who helped her, both Sarah and I helped her get to this place where she's at. And so he was fine with it, which was awesome. But going there the next day, if I wouldn't have had that conversation, or I think it was actually a week before, if I wouldn't have had that conversation with Eric, I would have been super awkward doing it. And I would have no idea how he felt. And it would have taken it away from Marley. Mm -hmm. The the spotlight, the reason why we were there that day uh, to baptize her. 
And so opening that line of communication up and just talking to him was huge. It was hard. <laughs> yeah. It was hard, but I needed to let him know. Right. Like I respected him and being Marley's dad enough to talk to her, him about that. Man, that's huge for, I, th- I think there's a lot from this that anybody out there who is a step parent or in a, in a blended family situation can, can learn from or think about for their own. So thank you for sharing all that. You're welcome. Talk before we close that topic, just uh, the joys of this blended family that you live in, the kids, all of that. You know, what, what, what's maybe one of the great joys of, of the dynamic that you live? So my, I don't have a goal. I knew I was going to have two kids. I have six now. Um, <laughs> no I big knew, deal. Yeah. I knew I was going to have two kids and then life happened and I found Sarah and then we had four and it came as a miracle uh, that we have two more. I'll spend a minute or two on this. I was married and at the time my wife and I decided we weren't going to have any more kids. So I had a vasectomy. That means I can't have any more babies. I met Sarah. We decided, I, first of all, I don't like surgeries. I don't like hospitals, not in a negative way, not in a way that are just like, uh. and so having surgery down there was super not fun. We decided to have a reversal done and there was less than a 50% chance it would even work. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. Until yeah, either you did shared I. this with me. Like, I was like, I. you can do that? <laughs> you can undo that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't either. And we decided to give it a try. It was not cheap. But we wanted to have that connection of kids through us. I had the surgery a year and a half later. It was to the point where Sarah gave up. She's like, it's not working. It didn't work. They told us it was a 50% chance the surgery would even work. I remember. Maybe even a 20 or 30% chance after that, that having a baby would work. Yeah. I remember this season. I don't think we were meeting regularly, but I I remember praying for you guys. Yeah. It was tough because we wanted kids and it wasn't happening. And I know there's people out there that have been trying to have kids for 10 years. Two of my best friends in college couldn't, didn't have kids mm-hmm. and they tried and they tried and they tried, did everything they could and they tried. So I don't want to make it sound like a year and a half is long, but it was tough. Right. And she said, I'm done trying. I, I can't get my hopes up. I can't do this anymore. Month after month, after month, after month. Three weeks later, we found out we were pregnant Wow. And it was, God said, you know what? I got this. And Sarah needed to let go. Yeah. That surrender piece of it. Surrender. And just like that. Yeah. We had Dempsey. I was going to say, that's Dempsey. And she's got a kind of a cool story too with her name. Yeah. uh, She's named after... One of the best United States soccer players, uh, Clint Dempsey. And uh, so 
We fell in love, got married, watched the World Cup the summer of 2014. Clint Dempsey was playing. We decided that if we were going to ever have a kid, girl or boy, her, or his name was going to be Dempsey. How cool. Yeah, that was 2014. Dempsey was born in 2017. You're a math no, guy. No, no, no. Yeah, I know. I'm a horrible. <laughs> I should know when my kids were born. 16. You have a lot to keep track of. We'll give you a, we'll give you a pass. I, I should know. 2016. Because she's two and she'll be three in 2019. So, there you go. So we're we talking got there. about 2014 to 2016. We had a name picked out. And so Sarah gave birth to Dempsey. I tweeted at Clint Dempsey saying, hey, just want to let you know, we all had uh, the four other kids, both Sarah and I bought Clint Dempsey jerseys and we got that picture in the hospital room holding Dempsey and yay and tweeted at him and nothing happened. I'm like, <laughs> okay. About a week and a half later, I'm like, you know what? Twitter's weird. Sometimes people see him, sometimes they don't. So I tweeted at him again. He picked it up and we ended up in Sports Illustrated. How um, <laughs> cool. Because of that story, the Seattle Sounders, where he played his his club team, uh, sent us a Clint Dempsey signed jersey for Dempsey, uh, which we have. Uh, it's just a super cool story. Yeah. So that, that's a story of Dempsey. Yay, we're happy. We got our child. It's a blessing. Christmas comes around and... Like, what are we going to do? We have our kids for Christmas. Next Christmas, we're not going to have all the kids. Dempsey's going to be by herself. What in the world are we going to do? You know, we had five kids. We were done. A few days after that, we went to the zoo. Sarah wasn't feeling well. I think it was December 28th, actually. We were like, we're struggling. Like, how do we, how are we going to explain this to Dempsey where she's, it's going to be five kids one Christmas and then one next Christmas? Like, gosh. Oh, well, we'll figure it out. God figured it out for us. We found out we were pregnant December 28th. Wow. Total accident. Weren't expecting it. Kind of freaked out. Nellie was born and it, uh, uh, we couldn't imagine life without her. Yeah. But it's just, it's one of those things where we didn't think this was going to be the answer God gave us. Yeah. <laughs> but it was. I love those stories of how Dempsey and Nellie, you know, came to exist in this world and just all of that. Talk about, so, you know, we're talking about the joys of the blended family situation that yeah, you live. Yeah. You know, talk about your, the, the other kids, the, the four. Yeah, so so the joys of seeing them all ha having this big family, and it's it's weird, and I sometimes struggle with it. Um, other times, I'm like, "This is awesome," uh, and the parts that I struggle with when they come back from being at the other parents' house on Friday, it's. I don't want to make this. Uh, uh, it is what it is. I don't want to make it sound bad, but it's like. They're not brothers and sisters. It's like they're best friends. And so when they get back, they play, they go outside, they play board games, they, they just hang out, play video games. And they have friends at school, but we rarely have other friends over at our house because they, I, I think they see themselves as friends and they need each other and they come back as best friends. 
Uh, currently, their ages are 13, 11, 10, and 8. And that is the biggest joy I see with these kids is they're going to be, and it might not be this way, which is fine if it turns out not this way, but they're, I see them as best friends. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I had the joy of spending your birthday with your family. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the cool things for me is to see your dynamic in action with all the kids and watching some of your older kids take care of the younger kids. Yeah, that's, that, 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 that is cool. Um, as parents, it is super cool because they're almost like built-in babysitters. Uh-huh. <laughs> and we don't, we, with a one and two-year-old, we don't have to be hands-on, constant over them because the other kids watch them. Now, sometimes we do. Uh, when the kids say they're watching them and they're not, but that is so cool to see that dynamic and see the love that is just built mm-hmm. built in for Nellie and Dempsey by... Oliver, Camden, Marley, and Audrey. It's just, it's so awesome to watch and for them to be the big brother and be sis- big sister, these two babies. For for Camden, Oliver, Marley, and Audrey, and maybe even Dempsey and Nellie right now, like if you could, you know, tell them one thing and cur- give them one piece of encouragement right now for, you know, their for their age individually, you know, what would you say? Like six different things? You're, yeah. You're, uh, yeah. So like one thing for each of those kids, what is your biggest hope or encouragement to them for where they are in life right now? Goodness gracious. Put me on the spot. We'll start with Camden because he's the oldest. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I did kind of put you on the spot on that one. I know. But I just, uh, I'd be curious to know. Yeah. Because Camden is on the eve of high school essentially right uh he's in seventh grade now yeah. so yeah here in, here in a year year and a half he'll be in high school i would say don't be afraid to be yourself he's still trying to figure out what his passions are uh, I, I don't think he's quite got that yet okay to be yourself okay uh for camden audrey i would say my biggest piece of advice to audrey Right now, today, open up your heart. And not in a bad way, but in, in a way where open up your heart to let people love you. Um, she does that now, but uh, but I, I see an opportunity for her to grow. Yeah, just an encouragement to that. Keep, keep that heart open. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Oliver, my biggest piece of advice would be to work hard. Mm. there are a lot of things that come naturally to him. With that, work hard, watch what happens. Like that will take him to the next level. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, Biggest piece of advice for Marley, she's eight. Man, that's, that's another tough one. Such a great kid. She's got quite a personality. She does. A little bit different than Audrey. I would say biggest piece of advice for Marley. She's a very, very, very loving kid. Um, There are people that are attracted to her because she loves to talk and she opens up. I would say use that to find the people 
that need that extra love. Okay. So keep your eyes open for the ones who need yeah. the love that you can give. Absolutely. Yeah. In a friendship at school, I'm thinking specifically just be on the lookout for that. Yeah. Man. Yeah, Dempsey, uh, she's two. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's hard when they're that young, right? But I'm sure, I mean, I always, it's one of the things I love to ask parents is like, what what little personalities are you seeing form in mm-hmm. these beings? Yeah. It's more an age thing. So at two years old, it's hard for a 40-year-old person to say, think of others before yourself. But that's my advice to Dempsey is, you know, at, at that age, all you see is you. Um, so mine, mine, mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's my toy. I want it back, Nelly. Uh, but see others. Mm-hmm. And for Nelly, who is one, tell you what, Sarah has pointed this out. Uh, she has never had a kid. And, and from birth, this is her fourth that loves so much and smiles so much. And she is hugs, a smiler. Hugs so much. Uh, so my biggest piece of advice for Nellie is to keep on being you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Nellie and I have a special relationship because not too long ago, <laughs> I was doing an exercise in my life where I was trying to do scary things. I was trying to live a more courageous life. And so I had identified 30 scary things to try and do in 30 days. And one of them was to change a baby's diaper because <laughs> I had never changed a baby's diaper before. And Jeff and Sarah let me uh, change Nellie's diaper. Yeah, but see that <laughs> I, it counts and you cross it off a list, but there was no poop. It wasn't messy. There was some pee in it, but baby steps. Yeah. Baby steps. Baby he steps. did learn how to do it and do it correctly. And so it was his first time doing that with Dempsey. It would be my third child. That's a lot of diapers. You're well seasoned. I am well seasoned. And I forgot how to do it. And I was scared how to change her first diaper. Like, well, oh, I, I never thought her? about that. Yeah. The, the distance. Yeah. yeah. Will I, will I break in, in her? Ages. What's going to happen? It's, it's like, I, I was scared and it was my third time hmm. having a baby. So totally understand the fear that you had. Yeah. Yeah. But you need to change your poopy diaper. We'll we'll cross that <laughs> when we come to it, maybe. Um, man, thank you for sharing all of that about life and family and marriage and all of that. I, I, again, you live such a unique dynamic with that. Um, and that's why I'm such a fan. And I know a lot of people are fans of your life because you keep a blog and, and you um, share a lot of your life and your family dynamic through that blog. Um and one of the things I admire most about Jeff is he's one of the most disciplined people that I know. I don't know if you see yourself that way, but there was a time a couple of years ago when I sat down with a couple people who I viewed as disciplined, you know, new year, trying to, you know, get some new habits going. And, and you were one of those people. And I said, how do you do what you do? You set a goal and you go after it. Hmm. And in, in most of the time, I feel like you accomplish it or at least make really strong headway towards that goal. And, you know, I think it was that year maybe that you had, the year previous, you had blogged every day for a year. Mm -hmm. Um, So talk about, you know, maybe talk about your blog and what what goes into that, but also how did you, how did you accomplish that? Like, how did you write every day for a year? All right, so I'm going to let the listeners in on something that happens quite often when Zach and I meet for coffee. 
I have to excuse myself to use the bathroom. And that's what I have to do now. So <laughs> we'll be right back. We'll be back. right back. <laughs> that's awesome. I love that. So basically, I, I think I had asked you something like, there are a lot of people who are fans of your life because you post about it. You you have a blog that you keep, and when it comes to discipline, you know you blogged every day for a year. So talk a little bit about what's in the blog, why you started it, and more more so maybe how you managed to blog every day for a year. How did you accomplish that? All right, so Las Vegas is the answer. <laughs> that's not a loss. Uh, that's not a life philosophy, right? <laughs> so, so what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Um, is their motto, and I didn't follow it. So I was in Las Vegas for a an event for work. That's one of the largest trade shows in the country. I think it's a fourth largest, and leading up to the event they had a keynote speaker and the keynote speaker was a marketing guy which that's what I do and his name was Seth Godin and he is somebody who blogs every day his blog is called this is Seth and if you just type Seth in the Google machine as he calls it (laughs) he'll pop up Um, Why does he pop up? He's not the best blog. He's self-admittedly not the best blog. He doesn't have a hit blog. If you type in the most view blogs, his is not like an individual blog. His is not on there. But what he does is show up every single day. I think it's at least seven years where he's written every single day, maybe 10, I can't remember for sure. And hearing his keynote speech, I'm like, you know what? That's pretty cool. If you show up every single day, people will know you're there. People, people, you're alive. Uh, And I don't mean to say that as breathing, but you're just there and you'll be there for them. You're not writing for them. I'm not writing He's not writing for people. He's writing for himself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the biggest keys in making the decision to write every day. So this trade show was at the beginning of the year. I came back and started a blog. The blog is called Smile On Together. And we can go back to the meaning of that in a little bit. But to answer that question... I made a decision to do it every day, one, to show up. But the other part of it was that I gained from him is it helps with creativity. It helps with ideas because, and this goes to Seth, if you write every day, not every day something is going to be good, but every once in a while something good will come out. And if you keep going, if you keep writing, if you keep writing, if you keep going and do it every day, it's a habit. And creating those habits is hard at first. So I chose to write every day for a year. I'll be honest and say I missed two days. I remember I missed two days and I just forgot 
got busy and I woke up the next morning like, ah! <laughs> um, got busy living life. Yeah. Which makes sense. Again, you've got six kids. It, <laughs> so, it does. Um, but even to say 363 of 365 days, that's mm-hmm. huge, you know? It, it was hard <clears throat> to find stuff to write about, to... There were many, 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 many nights where I would sit in bed with my laptop trying to figure out what I was going to write about. Sarah would lay there, go to sleep, watch TV, and ask mm. me what I'm going to write about. I'm like, I don't know. And then she'd give me ideas, and then I'd write. And So do you think, is there value in forcing it? Like, even if you don't have anything to write about, forcing yourself to write anyway? Is there value? For everybody, no. For me, yeah. Why? It kept me accountable. Okay. It helped me say, I'm going to do this. And there wasn't a boss saying, did you do this? There wasn't somebody saying, did you? Like, it was me. I'm not getting paid to do this. Right. I'm not getting a paycheck. So there's not that financial resource that's coming in and the, the financial part of it. It so it was an exercise in self-discipline, self-motivation. 100%. Yeah. So I mean one of the, what I've taken from you here is that for anybody who wants to do anything, you know, every day or anybody who wants to make a habit or make a discipline, you, you said two things that I think are important here. Show up. Just show up. Mm-hmm. No matter what. And two, do it for you and for no one else. Yeah, and that that's that's the thing. So I did it for a year. I'm like, what do I do now? Sarah's like, you need to keep going. Um, I said I was going to do this for a year. And she helped me realize that, yes, I was doing it for a year. In writing every day, having six kids and being married, a lot of the subjects I was writing about were about our family about our kids, about our experiences, whether it was, it could be, it could have been from work. It could have been something I saw. It could have been when something one of the kids did, accomplishment, a lesson they learned. She helped me realize I was writing a diary for our family. Mm-hmm. It's something that is going to be there forever. For Like, that's big. <laughs> That's huge. And so at that point, I wasn't writing for me at that point. About a year into it, I then started writing for me. The first year was hard. I didn't want to do it on a lot of the nights. And then once I started doing it for me, like it wasn't a burden to write every day. Mm. I went about two and a half years of writing every day, except for those first two, in the first year, two days I missed. Um, Year two, I wrote every day. Year three, about halfway through, I needed a break. I was in, ironically, Las Vegas, (laughs) (laughs) where I made the decision, I'm going to write Monday through Friday and take Saturday and Sunday off. And that was this past fall, this past October, I was in Las Vegas. And I've written every day, 
except Saturday and Sunday. And I miss it. Yeah. I miss writing on Saturdays and Sundays. No, I don't miss. Uh, I love the fact where if I don't get a chance on usually Saturdays and Sundays, it was Saturday and Sunday night when I'm writing. And so I really cherish getting into bed and not having to open up my computer with my wife by my side. Mm-hmm. I really cherish those. But in all honesty, like I miss doing that on a daily basis. Yeah. But I think that, I mean, another important lesson to take away from that is you set your own rules with mm-hmm. it. You know what I mean? Part of a self-discipline, self-motivation thing is like you set the rules. You know, I think about um, another author speaker I listen to, John Acuff, he talks about, you know, when it comes to reading books, he sets a book goal. And I know you and I both set a, mm-hmm. a reading goal for the year as well. And he said, you know, some of the things he read were comic books and people were like, well, that doesn't count. And he's like, who do you, who are you to tell me <laughs> what counts? I get to decide that, yep. you know? So for, even for you writing every day, sometimes, and this is what I love about some of your blogs is that they're not, most of them are, are something I can read in five to 10 minutes or less, you know? It's, Usually less. Yeah. But the brevity of it, I think makes it interesting. I think it makes it accessible, approachable, you know, it's it's the value of like the the 140 characters on Twitter, which is now more than 140 <laughs> characters. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah. You know what I mean. It, it, I think there's an art to saying something briefly yet completely, and and um, yeah. So so you get to set the rules. Some 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 of your blog posts are probably only a sentence or two long, but then there are others that are, you know, full narrative. You know. I remember one blogger, right? I, it was a Saturday night. I don't remember exactly when, but I remember it was a Saturday night. And I opened up the computer and wrote, I'm tired, period. Smile on together. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> but it was something I told myself I was going to do, and I did it. Yeah. And I, I listened to the radio the other day, and they were talking about they were t- some new author and book, of course. And... Uh, he was talking about 1%. Like if you can do every day, what's one thing you can do to move yourself one percentage point towards that goal? So maybe that is, you know what? I'm doing five push-ups today and that's working out and that's more than doing nothing. You know, if you can get that mentality going, it's how you build that momentum. Ironically, it's how we started. How can I get you from a seven to an, to an eight, eight on your day? Just yeah, that little bit. And it's just like bit. when you think about it in that way, it's so much easier to get started or it's so much easier to say, you know what? I'm tired, period. I wrote today. <laughs> but even, you know, like you said, your family legacy, to look back on that and to say, that night I was tired and it sticks out to you. Mm-hmm. And you remember, you probably remember why you were tired, whether that was work-related or something you'd done with family that day. Yeah, you know, you was, were tired uh, and was that was it. Exhausted. Yeah. I was done. That's crazy. So for anybody out there who wants to make headway, in, in doing something every day. Um, do you have any other bits of advice other than, you know, what you've shared, show up? Um, yeah, there has to be a reason. Ooh. Um, <laughs> my sister's going to kill me. She's a dental hygienist. Uh, my dentist is going to kill me. Um, but I'm a horrible flosser. And... I saw no value in it because every time I tried to floss, I bleed and it hurt and I hated it and pointless. <laughs> and the dentist throughout my whole life said, you need to floss every day. Like, okay, sure. I'd come back from the 
every, you know, twice a year dentist appointment, I flossed and it hurt and I quit with a trial size floss they gave me. And I was meeting with Zach and we were, I told him, he didn't tell me, you know, what's your goal? It was just, I think a random day or I got back from the dentist and I said, Zach, I'm going to floss every day for six months. And he's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and why? Well, one, because I wanted to see if I can do it. So it was like a, Jeff, you can do this. Let's, let's, uh, come on, man. It's flossing. Two, I wanted to see, like, I was doing a scientific test unscientifically by flossing every day, see if it did anything. Like, everybody told me, my sister, the dentist told me it would help. And so I decided to do it. And I flossed every single day for six months. And I did it. You did. I did it. And I went to the dentist and I said, I flossed. And they said, "You, I can tell you're, I don't know, specifics about dentist <laughs> stuff. But they said my gums were better. And I'm like, sweet. And so that was over. And I'm like, okay. So I got home and ran out of floss and stopped flossing. <laughs> like I hit my goal. I saw an improvement. But it wasn't important enough for me to keep doing it, even though there was improvement and I accomplished that goal. That's why I said you need to have a why. Okay. My why for the first six months was, I want to see if I can do this. They tell me it's good. I'm going to do it. And so I decided to do it. It literally, not probably literally, I hate using that word. It probably took me one to two minutes every day to floss. So it was not a huge time constraint. It was just something I needed to do. I went back to the dentist maybe, it was three months ago actually, and... The flossing conversation came up and I'm like, you know what? I need to do this. So I didn't tell myself I was going to floss for six months every day. I told myself I was just going to floss every day. And I have. Mm. And it's going to continue. Yeah. What's funny though is like I think about, you know, even just three weeks ago, we sat down and kind of mapped out goals for this coming year. And I took extensive notes on that. When when you talked about the flossing, I don't think I took a note. I thought <laughs> It was sort of just an afterthought. But I remember you saying something like, you knew you had to report to me on that. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to ask you about it. I had kind of forgotten about it, to be honest. But the fact that there was accountability there and you took responsibility, you knew I have to share with Zach that I did this. Yeah, and in, in, so in me telling Zach that I'm going to floss, this goes back to the first time I did this, I'm going to floss every day. He had zero expectations of me to do that. But if you had asked me to, I would right, have checked in. Right, yeah, but, I didn't ask you to. Yeah, so but you, I love that, you know. Yeah, he had zero expectations. But I will share, this is weird, but I would brush my teeth in the bathroom and then I would picture Zach. And he wouldn't be disappointed in me, but I feel like I'd be letting him down if I didn't floss, so I flossed. And like that image of me feeling like I let Zach down, which I don't think he would be. He didn't care if I floss or not. But I'm letting him, I felt like I'd be letting him down. And so that motivated, made it, motivated me to do it. Yeah. And so having somebody who you share with that you trust is hugely important. Right. Accountability. If you're going to accomplish anything, accountability is huge. Definitely. Absolutely. So my blog, one of the things I didn't say about that was there were people who I have no idea who's reading the blog 
would stop Sarah and talk to her about it, saying, I love that your husband does this, would stop me and tell me a story about a blog I wrote three months ago Mm -hmm. that affected them. Like, holy cow, I had no idea you even read it and you're commenting to me three months later about it. And so there are people out there who read it and they probably don't read it every day. There are only a handful of people who do. Maybe, I don't know, I'm assuming that. But in my head, kind of like Zach wasn't gonna be disappointed, I don't think, I don't know if I didn't floss. Like there are people out there that might be disappointed if there's not something there. And so that is a sort of motivation for me. Mm -hmm. But in going back to what you said before, ultimately you do it for you and for your family and that's your why. Absolutely. You know, that's the priority one. But priority two, I mean, it does give you some accountability to know that, hey, there are people out there that enjoy this and I want to keep, I want to keep giving them content to enrich their lives, to enrich their day, Mm -hmm. which I know is huge for you. It is, yeah. Um, and the meaning of smile on together, do you want to talk about that now? Yeah, yeah, because that's, I mean, it, it, I, want to, I want you to share how that came about because it is a life philosophy and is a huge, I mean, it is your blog, you it know? It is. Um, so talk about that, yeah. Sure, so the first Thanksgiving back when the pilgrims, no, Sarah <laughs> and uh, our, my first Thanksgiving together. It was Thanksgiving Eve on a Wednesday morning. And at the time I was doing a video, um, something self-imposed for work. And I was, so it was Thanksgiving Eve and I looked up, pulled up on the Google machine, the thesaurus and typed in the word thankful. And one of the last descriptive words was smile on. I'm like, huh, that's interesting. I remember standing in her kitchen. At the time, it was her kitchen. Now it's ours. Standing in her kitchen and like that moment where like it hit me. Like that is super cool. And it's super cool because... When you smile, you're happy. And happiness for me is one of the keys to life. But smile on also means, and I know that when you go through crap, you have a choice of how you respond. You can stay in the mud or the crap, or you can look at it like, I can get through this. We can smile on through this. And so that's where the seeds started growing. Mm. That 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 moment standing in your kitchen, I was wearing a green sweatshirt and a green and white hat. Like that is burned in my memory. Wow. And that was 2013. So that's six years ago. My memory is horrible. Like that image is there. It was a pretty pivotal moment for me. So time frame, I'm, again, my memory is not great. Fast forward some amount of time and Sarah and I decided that we need a website for Smile On. And so we looked and looked and looked and Smile On was taken. It was not available. So we started looking for other options and smileon.com.org. 
net dot everything. It was wasn't available. I'm like, what are we gonna do? And I don't know how it showed up, but the word together showed up with smile on. And I'm like, you know what? My philosophy has been you got to smile through the good stuff, but more importantly, smile through the bad stuff, smile on. And then I learned with that word that night with my wife sitting with my computer, you can't do it alone. God put us here not to be alone, but be, but to be together and to get through those good times, but more importantly, get through those bad times together. Yeah. And smile on together was born. Yeah. And I know we had talked recently about how that word, the together word, while it was sort of the secondary you know, of the phrase yeah. has become sort of like one of the most <laughs> valued parts of that philosophy is that we do it together. It is. Um, going through hard times. Yeah. And I think your blog reflects this so well because it's not just looking on the bright side. Like you said, it's a very intentional choice. It's perseverance. It's choosing joy. And, and, you know, so much of your blog is about, you know, your family's life. But man, I mean, some of the ones that have most resonated are the ones that really say, this is hard, but there's joy here too. Yeah. And I go back to, I mentioned earlier in our conversation, our dog, Callie, who died. And it was unexpected. And she was a three-year-old puppy that was full of life, perfect dog. And she just had something happen with her back and the vet couldn't do anything and we had to put her down. And Yeah, which, and I don't want to, I, I want to make sure that this is expanded for the listener because this is more than just a dog dying. And, and, and the, the, the blog itself is so well written. I know you had Sarah chime in on that too, yeah. yep. but it is, you've got a family of six kids and having to talk about life and death <laughs> with those kids at that moment, but also what Callie represented in you and Sarah's relationship, you know, it was more yeah. than just a dog. Yeah. For anybody who is a dog lover, a pet lover, 100% understands what happens when a pet dies, especially unexpectedly. Man, it was hard. It, it, was, it was hard for me. It was, I remember I'm, I'm wearing the same pants I'm wearing now. Man, clothes, clothes stick out to me during those <laughs> pivotal moments. Um, I'm wearing the same pants and... We had her put down on a Thursday morning and that was after taking her an hour away to see if we could do anything, found out the answer is no and we had her put down and I, I, I cried in tears of sadness and Sarah cried and it, was, it, was, it stunk sitting in the vet's office just watching her eyes close and taking her last breath. It was sad. And I remember walking right where we're sitting now through the living room. I was brought to my knees. Like I fell physically down on the floor and just lost it. So I had no idea. She was in the kitchen, came in, saw me on the floor and asked me what was wrong and just held me. And it, it, it hit me. And with a loss, you know, I cried, but like there was that moment where bang, it just, it hit me. <laughs> Sarah and I, I was wearing these pants because we buried Callie in the backyard and so we had to dig the hole and she came out and helped with that and did that. We uh, waited for the kids. We got the hole ready 
and waited for the kids to get home to go through the burial process. And so side note, our other dog, Teeny, I think is fresh, sad, fresh, like she's whining yeah. right now. Maybe she, needs she to, knows. <laughs> she needs to go outside. Yeah. I can um, let her out. Okay. Yeah. You keep can telling I the keep story. Going? Yeah. Keep telling the story. Okay. So we were going to wait later for, uh, to bury Callie. And we came inside after digging and had to change clothes. And Sarah was taking blankets that Callie was wrapped in downstairs and I was getting changed. And I headed downstairs to our laundry room to take my dirty pants down there. And Sarah, it she had fall to the knees moment at that point. It just, she couldn't control herself. She was just lost it physically. And so we both had those moments. And it was a Wednesday night. Pretty sure it was a Wednesday, Wednesday or Thursday when we buried her. And it was tough talking to the kids about it. And they cried and they held her. And the night before, um, actually it was a Thursday and the night before on a Wednesday, she, we aren't supposed to have the kids as I explained earlier, but, um, we talked to their other parents and they said, definitely you can spend the last night with Callie with the kids. And we just had those moments that we shared with Callie. And so we, the next day put her down and then went through and each of us put something in the, in the, um, area where we dug that meant something to us individually with Callie. And for those of you who know, the rainbow bridge story that goes along with pets, if not look it up, we, Sarah read that and kind of, we ended that, uh, story of our life. Um, or so we thought until we wrote the blog about it. And it was, that blog got read a lot. And that is one that resonated with a bunch of people that came up months later to me and just said, thank you for writing that. And I get to write every day. And, and I say I get to because it's just awesome. I get to do that and I get to share my viewpoints and my stories and my life but then there's, there's those moments that make the blog that much more worthwhile that help other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I remember we ta- us talking about the ones that tend to get the most views, and not that we do it for the views, right? But just the, that resonate tend to be those ones about life and death. Yep. You know? Yep. Um, I remember when... Uh, when Dempsey was born, right? Yeah. It was that blog with the jerseys, right? Yep. Yeah, yep. it was a blog with the jerseys that Clint Dempsey retweeted the story that I wrote and that Sarah wrote. We wrote that one together. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's about life. It's the hard stuff. It's the, you know? it's, it's <laughs> it's, the highs and it the lows. Is. Like you said, you know, people, you know, sometimes people think it's it's too much or it's too deep, but that's what we really want. We, I think that's what we we want somebody to meet us in our mess. We want somebody to, you know, 
to be with us, to know that we're not alone. And I think your, your blog and your philosophy of Smile On do that for people. They do that. And I, I'm one of those people. And so I don't want to say I'm do, like, I'm doing it for me. Uh, yeah. I'm, it's a constant reminder of what is on my t-shirt or on my van or it, it's, it's, it's sending a message. I was at a uh, Habitat for Humanity. They have something called Restore here in Zanesville. And it's a place where you can donate stuff and they're going to resell it uh, at a very good price. And I dropped off a dishwasher there that we didn't need anymore. And I had a sticker on the back of the van and the guy, we got to talk and the guy helped me unload it. And I closed the door and he saw the sticker. So that's pretty cool. Smile on together. And it was, it was just, it's those messages. It's the positive message because there's soapbox time, so much ugly in this world and so much ugly that's reported. That's one of the other reasons I decided to, right smile on because there is ugly and I do write about that sometimes but when I do with the death I also make it a point for me to see and for others to see that there is a reason to smile and we got to do that together yeah so I think you're one of those people sort of like myself right that we're looking for the thing we're looking for inspiration constantly you know what I mean yep and so what, what has been something recently that has moved or inspired you? <laughs> um, I said I mentioned it earlier and I knew you were going to ask this question. And It is a question I've been asking a lot lately. It, uh, it's Bruce Springsteen and he is one of my favorite artists. And He's come up quite a lot in some of our coffee conversations. He has. Um, he did a, an album recently he was on broadway and i don't know the specifics and i haven't researched it yet but from what i gather he put on a show on broadway where he sang songs but he also told stories and the stories were about his life and about the songs that he sang in his life i see bruce springsteen as one of those he's an artist but i never knew until i listened to this how much heart he has and how much he cares and not to say I didn't think he didn't but I didn't know the extent of which his music was about his life there were three different times in listening to this album where I got tears in my eyes where I was moved emotionally from hearing his stories stories about his dad Stories about where he came from, stories about the town he grew up in, stories about the town he went back to to visit, to write, and how much that affected him. And he's an amazing storyteller, yeah. in, in my opinion. And that's one of the reasons why I love him. Not only, in addition to that, I should say, the other reason I love him is because he was introduced to me in such a pivotal point in my life in my teenage, early teenage years that, that have left an impact when I heard in heard born to run and what that song means to me and my dad. And I can smell the popcorn in the gym and where he coached and took me where I heard those songs and the warm up of the, 
Perry Panthers High School yeah. uh, gym. Like I smell the popcorn when I hear that song. But to hear the story behind the song, wow. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I remember us talking about, you know, the music we listen to in, in middle school is tends to be the the music that sticks with us most for our, throughout our lives. And for you, that's Springsteen. Yeah, that, that's definitely one of the artists. And he's been around. Um, it, it's just, so that is... Inspire might not be the word, but touched me and brought definitely me to emotions. And like, I remember hearing one of these first songs from this album, and I'm like, I played it three times in my car, hit the rewind to the beginning of the song button on this serious radio, and listened to it. And I sat in a parking lot right before I was going into a meeting at church and. I listened to it again. Like I delayed going in so I could listen to it again. And I just felt, felt, felt alive during that moment. Don't you love those? I need to maybe put that playlist together for me. You know, because I I can think of those moments where I had to pull over because the song was hitting me that hard in that moment. It is. And so when you say put together those playlists, I think that that playlist is there and helps you remember certain times of your life, but when it comes up unexpectedly, specifically I'm talking about when the song did, like it hit me. And that was that moment where it's the song, it brings back the memories, but it also caught me in a time and when it needed to catch me and I wasn't in a bad place, but man, I was ready. I didn't know I was ready until I was ready. <laughs> man. Yeah. And, and I mean, I love in our conversations how often music comes up. I'm a music guy. You're a music guy. How often podcasts come up, books, you know, um, if you, if you had to recommend a podcast or recommend a book to our listeners right now, like what are, which ones would you recommend? Just name a few that have just really helped you along in your life. Uh, we mentioned him before, uh, by calling it Tim, but it's a Tim Ferriss's podcast. Okay. Um, that has, he's done a, those of you who aren't aware and know him, um, just look on your podcast for Apple iTunes, or if you have Google, wherever you get your podcasts and type in Tim Ferriss with two R's and two S's and you'll find him there. He interviews people and he, it's definitely by far. Um, so specifically, if you're looking for a specific pod, like his general podcast, but a specific one from him would be one where he interviewed Jamie Foxx, um, the comedian, the singer, the actor, the, he's a piano player. Um, just his story, the way he tells a story, great storyteller, but yeah, the lessons I learned from that and just listening into how he grew up and it's just, that is one I'd highly recommend. Yeah. Um, and you actually got me listening to him um, through our meetings together. Mm-hmm. And I, I've started, you know, listening to him here every now and then. And the episode I always come back to is the one where he sits with uh, author Cheryl Strayed mm-hmm. at South by Southwest. Um, I listen to that often, actually. So yeah, good good stuff over there, Tim. Absolutely. Um, the other one that I want to throw out there uh, where it's one of those moments where I listen to it 
and got chills is where he interviewed a guy named Jocko Willink. Jocko Willink, and just do the Google search and you'll find that. But uh, he was a Navy SEAL and he, an intense, intense guy. It's well, it's, it's an investment in time. Um, couple hours. So, so, so is the Jamie Foxx one, but a well worth your time to listen to his interview, Tim's interview with Jocko Willink. Yeah. Um, another podcast that two other ones I'll throw out there is one called Serial. Tells stories, three different seasons, three different stories. Um, so S-E-R-I-A-L. Well worth it. And the other one that's just fun to listen to is This American Life uh, with Ira Glass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're not getting paid endorsements for any of that. <laughs> but, but again, just when I sit at the table with Jeff and we sip coffee and talk about life, there's always a podcast recommendation or an episode we've listened to, a book we're reading, a, an article we've read. And so, you know... I mean, Sarah makes fun of us because of how often we said I was listening to this podcast, yep. you know. Um, but it's true. It's it's great. It's and, true. You know, I, and I love being able to share that with other people too. And, and you know, thank you for sharing so much of everything you've shared over the course of, you know, what's probably going to end up being close to two hours. But, you know, that's, that's good. That's awesome. Um, so one last question I have for you. You know, you've mentioned Springsteen. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you're here right now sharing all this because I'm such a fan of your life. I want to know who who name somebody that you're a, a huge fan of. You know, can be big time famous person or you know small town nobody. It doesn't matter. You know, who are you a fan of? Sure. So this is going to be weird because I haven't spoken with this guy in a long time, and I would. Put him on the list, on my list of acquaintance, friend maybe, but a guy named Jamie Richardson. Uh, Jamie, I knew through, I used to be involved with the Cub Scouts and he was a volunteer and, man, I don't know if he's ever not had a smile on his face. Extremely intelligent guy, very bright, very passionate, but... Anytime I had any kind of interaction with him, and it's not even in person, it could be over email, I get the sense of just full of positivity that comes through an email, that comes through a, easier to come through a phone call and most most easiest, uh, the easiest in person. But Jamie Richardson is a guy that has affected me and he probably has no idea. Um, I don't know if I've ever told him. I know I told him I liked how he behaved, but man, he is, he is someone who not, or directly, but is someone that came to mind that has affected me and how I choose to behave. Yeah. Just uh, in that way. The other one is a guy who is more local um, and more knowledgeable Again, a positivity away about him is Wes McCullough. Anytime I have any interaction with him, he makes me feel like I'm the most important person that ever walked this planet. Yeah, Wes does has have that effect. It is just it's just so awesome to be around him. Yeah, so those those are people that you kind of gave me a heads up on this question um, yeah. that I, that I didn't think of. I didn't have written down, but when you said that, like 
those people have impacted me and they probably have no idea yeah. what they have. And and I, I I know there are people in my life, I'm sure in our listeners, you can think of these people, they have no idea. And why don't we tell them? You know, like <laughs> yeah. what, what what keeps us from doing that? What what do you think? I don't know, but I'm going to tell them today. I mean, you're telling them now, yeah. essentially, well, hopefully, but, right? right if listening. But, I mean, I'm going to get off and later this afternoon, I'm going to send a note to them and say, thank you. Um, why? Why? I don't know. I haven't had any interaction with Jamie in probably six years. With Wes, much sooner than that, but I don't correspond with him on any regular, it's probably been three months mm-hmm. since we've said hi, even. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I, I know when I was having interactions with them, I did tell them, I don't think about it. Yeah. Because, because I'm not asked. Right. Is the answer to the question. I, I don't think about it. And, and so maybe the, uh, the imperative right now is that we're thinking about it. We're talking about it. So now to go do it. Yeah. You know? And I don't know if you're a word of the year kind of guy. I don't think you are. We, I think we talked about this. With, I can't uh, stand it. Yeah. <laughs> with the, the, the new year goals and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and I, I do, I think about it. And for me this year, especially coming out of a, a really hard season that was the end of last year, it was, you know, my, my big thing is now. And, you know, trying to, if I if I don't invest in some of these things now, I never will. Is sort of the mantra around it. And so this podcast, um, writing new music, you know, I, I, I need to do these things now. And so I think that same imperative applies here. In that you're thinking about it. It it it's a one minute conversation of hey, how you doing? Just want to let you know you matter to me yeah. and you have influenced and impacted my life. That's, that's huge. Um, and it can definitely bring that person's day from a seven to an eight. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And if it's from a one to a two or a nine to 10, yeah, it has to make them feel better. It, make, it makes me feel better thinking about it. Right. Yeah. So listeners, whatever you need to do for somebody to bring their day, just that one point in the positive direction, you know, that maybe that's a great takeaway from this today. Good stuff. Absolutely. Jeff, um, thanks for being here. Well, before we get off, I, I don't know if you said it, but I know this is going to be released later in the future, but today is Zach's birthday. It is. So I will spare everybody from singing happy birthday. I'll just say happy birthday to you, Zach. Thank you, Jeff. I You're appreciate welcome. it very much. And I appreciate your friendship. Again, the fact that we can get together and just talk life and keep each other accountable. I wish everybody that kind of friendship, um, that kind of person. And so thank you for embracing life the way that you do, encouraging us all to smile on together. And I hope everybody will go and check out your blog. They can find that. I know you post on Facebook there, but also um, it's through Blogspot, right? What's the URL? Yeah, it's through Blogspot, but the easiest way to find it, in all honesty, is to just go to smileontogether.org. Okay. Um, You can find it there. There's links there. That's going to be the easiest way to find it. Uh, yeah. So just just check it out there. So if you're a fan of Jeff's life after this con- after this podcast, you know, follow his blog and you'll be able to track along with his family and all of the the fun adventures that they're taking <laughs> in, in life. So. Awesome. Well, th- Zach, thank you for having me on, and I appreciate. Um, I know I'm not a big one word person, but I'm happy you're embracing it now and doing this, uh, giving me the opportunity uh, to share. 
But uh, doing this so you can share uh, stories about people that you like and know and love. Thanks, Jeff. All right, man. Yeah. Take care. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Biggest Fan of Your Life podcast. If you have any thoughts or questions for today's guest, please email me at biggestfanofyourlife at gmail.com and I'll get in touch with them for a response and maybe we'll even talk about it on a future episode of the podcast. And if you're a fan of this podcast, I'd love it if you would like, rate, share, comment, review, and or subscribe to our podcast on whatever podcast listening platform you're using. Maybe even take a screenshot while you're listening and share it to your Insta story. And if you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter at Zach Owens, that's at Z-A-C-O-W-E-N-S, or on Instagram at Zach underscore Owens, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Zach Owens Music. You can find out about other creative projects I'm working on, including new and original music. I'd like to give a special shout out to Audrey Pelser, who designed our podcast graphic, Grayson Wazaleski, who composed the music that you're jamming to right now, and Donnie Moretti, our audio engineer extraordinaire. Thanks again for tuning in and join us next time when we'll have yet another fascinating guest that I'm a fan of and that I think you should be too. Till then, I'm Zach Owens, and I'm the biggest fan of your life.